What's up? The Fally Podcast back at you. We got a good one today. We got multiple guests. You guys are going to recognize all three of these guests. They've been on the podcast several times before. I mean, several times from all different parts of the country. We've been live with them. We've been on Zoom with them. We've been in duck camp with them. We've been at team building events with them. Today's episode of the Fally Podcast is brought to you by Benelli USA. The Super Black Eagle 3, I think, is the best shotgun I've ever shot. I've been shooting it a lot the last two seasons, and I always ask myself, how could they better number two? And they did it. It's one of those anomalies to me that you always ask yourself, why would you even try to better something that is already perfect? Their slogan is simply perfect. The gun is so badass. It never hiccups at all. There is no recoil on this thing, and we are deadly with it. So if you want to be the most aggressive or the most serious waterfowl hunter that you want to set out to be making all of those pieces of your waterfowl puzzle come to life check out the super black eagle three they have it in 20 gauge now they have it in ethos now i love the 12 gauge i love it in lefty when those other two are available in left-handed trust me i will be shooting today's episode of the fowl podcast is also brought to you by the one and only federal premium black cloud we've been shooting the three inch number bbs i guess you wouldn't call numbers but bbs at snow geese and the results are undeniable you can get the black cloud regular you can get the tss and i'm telling you there is not one ammunition that comes close to this on the market and i say that with a ton of confidence you can say yeah but they've been your partner well they've been our partner for 10 years now and i'm telling you it performs day in and day out if you want consistent results if you want to have that entire shooting system come to life make sure that you are shooting the best ammunition on the market federal premium black cloud the way it patterns the way that it performs i want dead when i when that shot, if you're going to take the responsibility of aiming a gun at a bird and pulling that trigger and taking the responsibility of taking an animal's life, then you want it to not suffer at all. Zero cripples is our motto. Of course, we're going to have some of them. I'm not going to sit here and pull wool over anybody's eyes. There's always going to be flybys. There's going to be crossover shots. There's going to be something that happens that there will be a cripple. But day in and day out, Black Cloud kills them dead. And that's because we shoot Black Cloud through the Rob Roberts T2, T1, and T3 choke tubes. Rob Roberts. Robert's Custom Gun Works is also a presenting sponsor of today's episode of the Fowl Life Podcast, straight out of the great state of Arkansas, pretty close to Arkansas. He's just north of I-40. The Grand Prairie starts south of I-40, where they call it the capital of Mallard Ducks, the duck capital of the world. Rob has designed these guns, these choke tubes. His entire system is undeniable, from the sear coating to the forcing cones to the trigger compartments to his porting. Everything that he does at his shop in Arkansas makes us more consistent and more way more confident waterfowl hunters when we take that gun and point it down range at that duck or the goose so thank you to all of our sponsors at today's show and it's funny that those are our presenting sponsors because that's who's in the room with me right now is somebody from benelli george thompson somebody from federal brian kelvington somebody from rob roberts i think it's rob roberts i think so rob roberts is here the one and only brian kelvington from federal premium good to see you my man good to see you chad thanks for having us down here in nebraska you like it i love it you drove down from minnesota i love it now well, we're going to come back to you in a second because I want to make sure that everybody understands. George Thompson, Product Development, Benelli USA. I was listening to this man talk today on the drive home from the pit, and he knows guns inside and out. Is that fair to say, Rob? Yeah, 100%. He knows guns, and 100%. it's so cool to hear him talk because he's so, like, unassuming that he would be, like, this much of a gun nerd, but he literally can dissect a gun and knows every intricate detail. Do you take pride in that, or is it just something that's because it's repetition over the last decade of, you know— decade plus of your life 
Yeah, of course I take pride in it, um, but it, it, it's just kind of part of my, my, my DNA almost at some point. You know, I've been in this industry for uh, almost 30 years now. It's kind of all I know. It's my lifeblood, and uh, yeah, I take pride in it. I, I, I'd like to know our products, competitors' products, and uh, you know, as much information as I can at the end of the day. I want to know everything. I love it. Listening to you talk with Rob on the ride home, I don't know if you were listening, but I was like, God, you, you want to become like more ingrained in it. Like when you talk to somebody about something, you want to not be like, well, yeah, just going through the motions, right? You want to be able to say, yeah, this and that. And I want to get that way. I feel I know a good bit about guns, but not like y'all were talking. It was next level. And then you have Rob Roberts sitting here. Rob, welcome back to the show. Well, I appreciate it, dude. And I'm going to tell you, the, the thing about it is when you are sitting with somebody like George that has been... I mean, he's on a product line. He does all this kind of stuff, and a lot of people, you know, they don't they don't speak with him. They they think that uh, it's just a gun company. They're going to sell you guns. That's that's the end of the day. And you know, just like today, we're sitting in the pit, and we had a gun that one of the extended magazines didn't have a magazine follower in it, and George is tearing it apart, fixing it. You know, I mean, that that is really great to know that. Uh, I mean, everybody there actually knows what's going on, other than just trying to sell you something. Yeah, and I think that when when you have the you know the options that are out there with guns i mean there's there's a lot of manufacturers for ammo for choke mm-hmm. tubes for guns I, I think that if people had that those i don't know what they are those inside that inside information of how well suited you guys are or well versed or well read or how educated you are on that actual product that's what people need to understand of what goes into what is being you know presented to the public to pull that trigger at the cash register you know no pun intended but i'm saying like you know to go out there and say hey i want that gun and that show tube and that ammo to go into the shooting system there's a lot of choices out there it's not always about a dollar yeah and you you can't look at the price tag all the time it's like i don't know if you can really put a value on the information that you can attain from somebody if you had a chance to sit down with you at a you know you're going to pheasants forever next week i think i heard you say or are you usually uh, I'll be to, in Italy next week. Oh, you'll be in Italy. Yeah. Are you going to Pheasant Fest at all this year? We have a team going, yeah. Yeah, but you won't be there. No, it, it is usually a show that I go to. I'm actually kind of sad I'm missing it this year. It's one of my favorite shows of the year to go to. But, uh, you know, I have to go see the factory guys, and the timing just didn't work out this year. But, you know, if you do get a chance to sit down with you or meet you at a trade show or meet you at NWTF like we were both at last week – you know, there, there's a lot of things that, and I'll say this with complete honesty and transparency, we take a lot of stuff for granted. You know, when people come up to you and they're like, hey, man, do that sound on that duck call, you always are like, wow, that's like, I, I thought everybody can do that. You know, because I never looked at it like it's anything, but a lot of people look up to the people that have that knowledge. And so if they have a chance to sit down with you guys and learn what I was learning in the truck today or learning, you know, on podcasts with Rob or Brian or some of the product development guys at Federal, there's so much that goes into why waterfowl hunters or upland hunters or in Federal's position, you know, big game hunters with all of their rifle cartridges, right? You make some rifles now at the Lupo. You do a lot of work on stuff that's other than shotguns. The turkey market, the big game market, the waterfowl. There's just so much that goes into it. And there's so many details that I wish that people had a chance to learn. And hopefully through a platform like a podcast or the TV show like The Foul Life, we get as much of that information out there as we possibly can. But I'm telling you, like, it's amazing the research and development that goes into these products. And I don't think that people really take that into consideration when they're going to make that. Some people do, 
But I think a lot of people go in there and they make a decision based on might be shelf appeal, it might be price, it might be a coupon. You guys know the retail market as well as I do. It's amazing to know what you guys know, and I hope the consumers take the time to try and learn all of that. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I'm sitting with guys like Brian or Rob in, in the blind, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I do take pride in my knowledge, but I'm not, you know, I'm humble enough to know when, when somebody knows more than I do and I want to learn from those those people, right? I, I'm always trying to, to learn from folks that have an expertise in some area and, and uh, glean whatever insight I can from them. Um, you know, the last couple of years, you know, you talk about what's making buying decisions. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of that's being driven by what's available, right? I mean, because you know, uh, at Benelli, I can I can tell everybody listening, we're making more guns than we've ever made before, um, but we just haven't been able to keep up with the number of folks that, that want to buy our products. We're doing the best we can, and we will catch up, but um, they've been pretty hard to find as as of late. And, and that's, no, that's no different. You know, we're, we're more of a consumable, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as we'd like everybody to have everything they possibly can, there's, only, there's limits on capacity, and I'm sure Rob knows the same thing. Yeah. And we're doing our best to to fulfill that and then in the meantime we do all we can to educate so we have that group of new users coming into the marketplace and and our job our as a responsibility as the industry is to educate those new users they get out there and use their firearms responsibly and as they're meant to be used and with you know with the pandemic and there's this huge influx in new hunters new shooters new fishermen new fisherwomen new men and women and kids get involved i mean you're able to take hunter safety online right now i don't know if that's bad or good now look i don't really know if you're you can go on there and just google the answer online is this a good thing that's a topic that i've always wanted to touch on of like we're bringing all this new blood into the pipeline it's our job as ambassadors or people that have influence or people that are in the industry to keep them here but i also want them to do it right and, and to educate them the right way to do it and i don't know getting them here is one thing but you know going out there and doing it right and, and having success ethics the legalities of it you know there's a lot that goes into to being any kind of hunter right yeah there's a lot that do require a range day and there's so many dedicated and um, firearm instructors so that they can get those touch points for those kids so that or new new user that they can get that range day at least there's some confidence that that we have that they, that they have a, a broad a, enough knowledge so they're going to be safe in the field because on top of that on top of the influx in users we've seen this in history before where whether it was an election year or whatever we've seen it to where there's been a bigger demand for firearms and ammo but that was compounded tell me if i'm wrong guys but it was compounded this year because of raw materials right and being able to actually get the materials it would take to build anything let alone the influx and just the new guns that you needed to put out there, the ammo for those guns, the choke tubes to put in those guns, whatever it is, there was a shortage of raw material. Do you guys see that getting better yet? Has, the, has that gotten better yet, the, the, the actual production? You want to take that one or should I? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I think our answer is going to be similar. Probably. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as long as, there's consu- as long as there's market demand, we have constraints. Mm-hmm. To get into the specifics, um, I, I'm just not – I don't think we can really go into the specifics because that's, you know, some trade secrets there, but there's still pressures in those, um, in those pipelines for raw materials. Yeah. A lot of pressure in there Uh, along the whole supply chain, right? It's not, it's not just even the materials. It's getting the materials where they need to be. Right. There's, there's just been logistics, logistics, um, anything that you can imagine coupled with, 
you know, record levels of demand, it just makes it an un, untenable situation at some level. I mean, you do the best you can, but at the end of the day, you, you can't satisfy everything. Okay, next question. We'll start with you. You're a little bit different animal because you... Not that size. You have not that size, but you also have a good amount of responsibility with employees. Mm -hmm. People have to show up at Rob Roberts' shop in Arkansas to work. Um, do you do you feel like when you, when you have... When you're looking at it like, I need to perform. I need to get enough choke tubes built because George is selling this many guns, this much ammo. Let's talk about quality control. Yeah. Now you add on top of everything we just discussed with the influx in demand, the supply chain issues. Now you add in the employment. You know, people, it was hard to find employees. I mean, there was, I mean, I remember seeing a restaurant, Burger King, that said $250 sign-on bonus. I'm like, what? Yeah. You know, like it was crazy. People couldn't, I, I know several people that were struggling. So what does that do as far in your opinion? We'll start with you, Rob. As far as quality control goes, I want to go around the table on this, though. This is very important. You have to keep that, that you know, that dedication to excellence, right? If it's Black Cloud, nobody's going to go in there and expect anything less than what they're used to. Same with Benelli. Same with Rob Roberts. So how, do you, how did you maintain quality control through these times? Well, the beauty part to us is we're not on a level with Benelli and Federal, okay? We don't have that everything that they have to deal with. So politically correct, we don't have to be. We are, all of our stuff is U.S. Steel, it's coming in. We don't want anything outsourced from anywhere but here. And the beauty part is our guys are like ex-military, ex-police, ex, uh, blah, blah, blah. These guys are just awesome. They come to work. They love what they're doing. They are actual Americans compared to, you know, we don't have 5,000 employees or whatever. You know, and I know you guys have to deal with a big amount and uh, but that's the beauty part we uh and i'm not trying to go all gung-ho and jump in on that but these are american people in a small town usa that man they love what they do and our products come we build everything it's us still we don't if it don't come out of there we we don't use it now i know benelli's not us but hey dude it's it's an awesome gun so we're we're all happy so did you feel any pressure or with your manpower did you feel any pressure at all through the last two years of being absolutely in your shop more micromanaging anything absolutely not the quality is not no we're there we're our guys are on top we have had zero problems was this but a now, big, was this, the size of these you, guys. you guys are a publicly traded company Correct. was there was there yeah. tons of meetings going on of quality control was this a big topic me. well i mean quality control from an ammunition perspective is always priority right we have to make sure the ammo goes out and it's safe right that's why we have systems in place we have quality control we have p and v testing every lot samples are pulled for testing to make sure they fall within the specs we can't send out ammo that's not uh, within spec and so it just i mean that doesn't it's regardless of a pandemic or any other external pressures internally we have processes in place because we won't put out any ammunition that the user cannot have 100 percent confidence that it'll go off as intended every single time whether you're waterfall hunting hunting with 22 plinking target shooting at trap shooting you know a kid doesn't want to miss in this high school trap league because the ammo didn't perform and we're not sending out ammo unless it's ready to go and it guaranteed. And just like Rob, we're American made, American pride. Nice. I like it. So but huge. Even, that's huge. Even, that's huge. It is huge. Yeah, so we are lucky on that part. I mean that that's just it, because we don't have that many employees. 
So in our, your in your instance, George, you were dealing with a country that was devastated too by the. I mean, Italy was one of the biggest devastations early <clears throat> in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you witness or experience with quality? Because Benelli in Italy don't play. I mean, no. it doesn't play. This is the best there is. So, what did you what did you see? Did anything change? Was there any other parameters put in place at all? No, no. I mean, uh, what Brian said is is certainly applicable to us too. Quality is first and foremost in in everything that we produce. And uh, you know, if we have, you know, it the town in which. Uh, Benelli is located in Italy was hit pretty hard by COVID and they did have uh, staff that, that had to be out for extended period of time um, that reduced the number of guns they could produce it didn't affect our quality standards or our quality procedures at, at all um, and if you know for instance there were people in the quality department that may had to be out for whatever reasons well that was just less guns that got put through we didn't change our standards because of that you know, our reputation is that we make the finest semi-automatic or finest shotguns in the world. And we're not going to change that because of, you know, some external, um, you know, things that are happening in the world, whether it's a pandemic or raw materials or, or logistic issues, our quality standards aren't going to change. They're going to remain exactly where they've always been, which is absolute best we can produce. So with all that being said, the main thing that I wanted to talk about today, and it's cool that we are here like this pit has been so fun the last 48 hours i'm talking like belly laughs right like i'm talking like <laughs> rib, i'm hurting my ribs are hurting my um, arm is hurting from and, and, this, and rob's going to be different on this front too because he doesn't have corporate america or matt you know mother comp you know whatever it is you know there's different things in place that you guys were put on a travel ban you were put on a travel ban, if I remember. I don't know 100%, but I feel like there was a time in, within the last two years that, that you couldn't travel, or was there? Uh, it was more essential travel, right? Essential if, travel. If, yeah. if, if essential travel was required, you'd travel. But if not, let's find the best ways to communicate um, so that everybody was safe. How important is this, Bri, with your experience? You've been in every part of this industry as far as you were outdoor writer you've been behind the scenes in media you but you also work with you know you're out on photo shoots you're out doing research and development you've been on team building events you do a lot of things at consumer shows and trade shows and on down the line what does it mean to you personally brian kelvington being you know having the experience that you do to be able to do this again like it's it's like we didn't get to do this for a while i haven't seen george In a couple years, years, yeah. And we used to see each other four, five, six times a year. Mm -hmm. You know, so what does it mean to you personally to be able to be around your friends and get back in the pit and experience what we've been? I I think human nature, right, is we're not isolationists. It's not in our nature. And so we like to be together. We like to share experiences, laugh, have fun, do those things, and then also help grow our sport, right? We're doing this because... We know using your vehicle, we can educate and entertain people that uh, have the same passions we do and or get new people into the sport. So to reconnect is is vital because, um, we're again, I think as humans, we're not isolationists. Uh, we like to be together. We like to enjoy each other's company and then experience the great outdoors. And in this case, um, Snow Geeks is on the menu. <laughs> what did you think of the the t- the group that we put together here like we yeah. we got to camp and it was nash kelvin brian anderson rob we got rob, rob and you've known rob for years yep 
and then me and you've been tight for a lot of times. Do you get like giddy? Like you've been, you just quote unquote, you said you've been in this deal 30 years. Yeah. And you're what, 40? Uh, 40, 45. 43. Okay, so you've been in almost 30 years. So your whole life pretty much since you were legal working age. Yeah, I mean, I grew up working in hunting and fishing stores, so it's really all I know. Um, so, so what does it mean to you when you walk in and see that group of guys and you're just like, it's kind of like a reunion kind of? Kind of, yeah. You know, I've, I've known Jason for a while. Um, this is the first time I've shared a pit with Brian uh, or or Brian Anderson. And, of course, I've known Rob for a number of years now. But we haven't really hunted together before. We've had lots of meetings and phone calls and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, Chad, we've talked about this a number of times over the years. And I think on this podcast, you know, I love shooting birds as much as the next guy. I love watching them work. I love I love the dogs. I love the whole atmosphere. But for me, the best part of it is 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 the blind talk. Right. It's it's getting together with your friends that you haven't seen in a while and that camaraderie and that and that shared passion for hunting and just you know it's that downtime in between the flocks of birds that are coming in that that are most special to me i mean that's where you really make connections in my mind and that's what's most memorable i mean yeah everybody remembers that great shot you made on the on the bird you know going away from you or or the you know um the the great you know tornado that came in but for me what i remember most is always the experiences we have just just kind of jabbing at each other and having fun in the blind um, that's what's most, most, most special to me and what I've missed the most, um, you know, cause like you said, we, we didn't have a full on travel ban, so to speak, but, um, like Brian said, it was really only essential travel only. And, and that meant that a lot of these hunts and media type activities got, got delayed or pushed back substantially. So, um, it's been a while since I've had that experience and I've, I've had a great time with you guys. It's been a lot of fun. And you heard George, you know, George Rob say, He's never hunted with you, but he's had a ton of meetings, whether it's at SHOT Show or I don't know if you've been to Maryland or he's been down to Arkansas, but there's something different about the blind in camp, right? It is. And what you find out when you go to the blind, you're sitting there and you're, you know, you're, you're more of a laid back atmosphere, whether they're working, not working, how we, we, we go back and we're talking, Hey, what are you finding about this? You get so much knowledge out of that. This is what's working. This is what, you know, folks want. We need to work hard at this. And what you end up is everybody involved becomes a better company by being in the blind together. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, you know, this is something that really needs to be addressed. Uh, There's a problem here or there's a problem there. And what you find is these guys, as you go over, no matter how big they seem to be, they really do care. It is all about making a product work. So, you know, you have conversations about, you know, hey, I talked to these guys. They said their gun was doing this, or you needed to change uh, a spring here or there because this load was not working, or that was not doing, and all that. And what you do is you 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 that really helps because it's like okay, but what we find was this is all working great. This is all great. Um, we need to add something to wherever, and that's where it comes from. It comes from spending a little time. FaceTime one-on-one with each other compared to just talking on the phone. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. we've had thousands of conversations, but <laughs> it, it really does help. You, you'll get more in one or two days in a blind than you will there. Do you think that it's good for even an internal relationship? Like you were up here with two coworkers that you see. I mean, before the you know this deal, when everybody was working in the office, you would see these guys every day. Does it still help that kind of internal relationship too to be out at this kind of experiment oh, or experience? Of course, of course, because you know at we at work we talk work. 
100 you know 100 percent of the time but here we got to connect on some different levels we have different interests learn about where their kids are at in their stages of life and so those are all important things to keep up that social aspect of being a human right we just because we all we have care that's, it. Mm-hmm. that's, that's it. all of it have you ever you guys when you're sitting in the snow this pit is it like we're kind of catered to here in a way right like i mean black goose outfitters and black goose adventures they're larry and and ryan they're amazing mike the guy you met today and joe it's almost like if you're not in it and you're just the hunter like there's like almost zero work here it's a weird feeling to me like you're not calling you're not like you know usually my quads are hurting because i'm up and down the blind i'm popping up i'm calling i'm flagging them whether it's geese or ducks or what what isn't it a different kind of deal you kind of just laid back and all the and even like the speakers are going non-stop and then all of a sudden they're like walkie-talkie birds are birds are coming from the south and you're like okay get ready then you just sit there and watch and whirlwind down it's kind of a cool deal yeah it's a different deal yeah um and and you're right it is i mean an outfit like this they really take care of you um, they've got a real nice blind set up out there. They put the full spread out for you. Um, you know, really all the hard work's done. You're just there to, to have a good time and, and uh, take the birds that you need and, and spend time with your friends and enjoy the experience. I mean, it takes yeah. a lot of the, the work out of it when you go with a, a first-class outfit like this. Do you, yeah. do you Throw feel- Vegas out of the point. You know, I mean, everybody goes to Vegas for business meetings. Find them a blind somewhere in Nebraska like this, Missouri, <laughs> Iowa, wherever the case the may best. be. Follow it. Get a blind and take care of your business meetings there, and you find out that you know you, you're with good people. Um, there's no downside. And I and, I, and this is what the U.S. is about. Dude. And and we know what else is. This is what waterfowling is about because in a lot of the I'm other saying. facets of hunting, you don't get to do what we do in that blind. Turkeys, you got to be quiet. Deer, you can't move. You can't, I mean, everybody's just on their own, right? You talk about isolation. Deer and turkey hunters have been isolated for years, right? Well, whatever you with Chad Belling, too, the social experience is outstanding. I mean, really. I mean, you go over salad dressings and all of it. Like the food industry. We went all through the food industry. Hey, you're telling me that dinner wasn't unreal last night? Oh, it was absolutely awesome. My yeah. side, my side's hurting from being poked all day, as well as laughing all day <laughs> for forty-eight hours. Oh, it was a blast. But it you know what I mean? Hunt. Waterfowl yeah. hunting is such a cool social gathering. That's why I love it so much, man. It's that camaraderie and being with people that you love and just having a good time and you know having that shared passion and shooting some birds when they do it right. And you're right; it's vastly different than most other kinds of hunting in that regard, right? You can have that social interaction the whole day. All yeah, day, no. he, you know, when deer hunt, you get back to camp, you have dinner, you know, but they're weird. They got to put their clothes in the bag, and they got to <laughs> they got to get their 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 piss on them, and they they get the dough urine on them. And, like I love deer hunters, Waddell. I'm just messing with you, but that that the whole experiment of the blind in waterfowl hunting. I'm not saying that you can't go out and, and love it by yourself, but I don't know a lot of duck hunters that hunt on their own. Do you guys know any? But how good was Snow Goose Tacos? <laughs> there I mean, let's, uh, let's, I, I don't really want to brag on you that much, but yeah, let's not glaze over that. <laughs> were, were they amazing? They oh, were really good. Yeah, that was as good a food as you'll eat anywhere in the world. And they were. And that's on. How, how cool is it that they were killed in the morning, butchered, processed, and eaten all within twelve hours? I mean, that's pretty Six cool. Six hours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was quick, right? Yeah. However long it was. Yeah. There's another aspect to that, but we won't get into that. <laughs> They left, they left the building. But, no, that was absolutely some of the best food I'd ever ate. 
It, and, it was really, really good. And uh, you know, I was asking you a question yeah. before no, you got that up. So no, 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 no. I just I We're was, gonna talk I was about just gonna, the tacos in a minute. I was just going to add that um, one thing too that's highly underrated for uh, upland and waterfall hunting is the is the uh, tailgate after the hunt. Yeah, I mean. I'm not a big deer hunter. I think Chad knows that, but I do like I do enjoy deer hunting, but that's more want you're doing it yourself most of the times. But waterfall and upland hunting, your dogs are with you. You usually have more than two or three compadres, and that tailgate is a lot of fun at the end of the day. Yeah. I, that's where you get to relive a few memories, um, laugh a little bit more. How you just mentioned dog? You just mentioned you know the that part of the hunt is so cool. Like, I don't know if I would enjoy today without having Axel there or seeing those other dogs. I'm not saying I wouldn't enjoy it, but like, think about like those birds are out there and the wind's blowing, they're blowing them way up against the edge or one gets caught in a crossfire and lands out there. Isn't it cool to see like what these dogs can do? I, I, I tell you, one of the coolest things I've seen this trip so far was we had that one that sailed across the, the pond today and was on the other bank. And, and and still, you know, was head up and still moving around a little bit, and we and we sent the dog over there, watching that dog. What was that? A hundred yard sprint oh, that yeah. that dog oh, went on. I mean, yeah. he was full speed, full tilt boogie ahead, and 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 kind of tackling that bird and bringing him back. That was just cool to me. Yeah, the enthusiasm that dog showed that to do his job. Right, it's yeah. a job for him. I mean, that's what we train them to do, our dogs to do, but. You know, as a dog owner and and watching it and just an observer, that enthusiasm is what it's very motivational, right? Now I want to be as I want to be as enthusiastic as that dog. Yeah, I got kind of pumped up yeah, watching exactly. that. I mean, that yeah, dog we was were like, high fiving over. He we was were, giving it everything he had to run as fast as he. I mean, and it was a there was no hesitation, there was no indecisiveness. It was just. There were six. Yeah, that, there were right six before, adult males that all were going. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, before, right yeah. before that, I had sent Axel on that one and was trying to. He, he went up to that swimmer. Yep. And then that swimmer got up and flew away, and now that dog's lost. So that dog's only got two choices: swim back to you or run away. That's yeah. literally what your what their mind is. And the ability to do what those dogs do is like. And keep this in mind: every single time a bird's killed in that situation yesterday and today. There's no viewable part that that dog can see. Right. So every time you open the dog box and let him out of that box, and he, he or she is just like, what the hell? <laughs> I have no idea where they went down. They see. have no clue. So think about like you just be going in. They call them a blind retrieve. Yeah. And it's so cool to me that the communication with those dogs and those whistles and and the training that goes into that and, and the you know the the and the trust you have between the dog and, and the, the credibility you have yeah. to have with yeah. them. Which and I'm Axel was a, such a stud. I mean, he is such a brute of a dog just like yesterday he was chasing one that i mean he was busting through the water and there was ice and everything else and he was just such the strength of that dog chasing after that yeah you know there was you know i mean it's it's uh it's really unreal i mean i think it's, it's it was the, awesome it might be my favorite part i love calling them i do love shooting them like i'm i love seeing just you know it's how do you say that you love shooting something like I'm unapologetic about it. Like I'm compassionate about the animals, which I think is a big part about being a hunter. I think that we have to have compassion for the animals we pursue. So where I'm going with this, Kelvin, then you talk to me on this a little bit is you're a really compassionate person. I've known you for a decade now. What do you think of this snow goose deal? The federal government letting us do what we're doing right now. They say that it has to be done. The tundra, the breeding grounds, um, 
the population's excessive. Like we've been doing this depredation hunt for two decades now, yeah. almost. I don't know if a den's been put in them. We're doing our best. You kill. There's some people. Some days you have to kill three, four hundred of them. What is your thought on that? As far as the compassionate for the animal goes, but then you also have to take the management part of this conservation yeah. management and what it means. What, do you, what personally, how do you feel about having the ability to go out and maybe kill a hundred geese in a day? I think it's if you're doing your part right. The the environment says carrying capacity. We can only have this much, and so we use hunting as a tool to manage game hurts right or to whether you bring it reduce them or bring them up we're using hunting as a way to um, manage those populations so i'm all for it and that's why i love it when the fact that your dog brings that that goose back to your hand drops it gives it to you and from there that's going to be transferred into a, a food a food source for us there's nothing i i shoot that i won't eat that's the bottom line. So I, so I think when you're doing hunts, to do what it's designed to do is to control populations. There's no want and waste. I, I don't have any. That's what I think is the right thing. So to are do. you saying right now that you would never hunt anything that you can't eat? I don't hunt okay, things. I don't. I don't. I don't traditionally that. hunt things that I don't eat. Let's other than coyotes. Other yeah. than coyotes. Okay. So but when you go moose, dogs when you go moose hunting, you're thinking I'm eating that moose tenderloin. Yeah. When you go fishing, I'm eating that wall, which I need some wall. I mean, we got to figure out what else wall I do. I need some wall. Yes. I, wait, let me ask you something real quick. You guys got off subject real quick. Do you guys, and I, we touched on this yesterday, and I still think that you're messing with me. Do y'all really drive trucks out onto the ice? 100%. Like, what the freak? He said 15,000 trucks, George. He did this? say that. No, 15,000 yeah. trucks. But you're Not saying- only trucks, they're pulling 20-foot ice castles behind them. So you got about a 2,000, 2,500-pound ice castle and the F-250 or F-150 or three-quarter ton or one-ton diesel with a plow on it. And yet we drive on concrete, other, otherwise known as 16 to 20 inches of ice, in some cases 30 inches of ice. Do you take that? Do you take that in the same breath or sentence as you said, waterfowl and upland hunting? Because that to me seems like a blast. If you literally auger down, and I've done it with you, but I never drove a truck. We took a snowmobile. Like I think it was, if I remember right, it was like fourteen or seventeen miles. We went across Lake of the Woods. Yeah, that's so. That's a different type. That's a different style of ice fishing because there's not plowed roads. But in different parts of Minnesota and South Dakota, there are resorts that have traditional. Um, areas where they fish and they plow roads to these areas that are typically hold fish because of the structures that are there or if there's a population of of a game fish or you know bait fish so because there's some sort of structure holding them there so they plow to these traditional areas and there's literally roads and people pull their half ton one ton three quarter ton along with a fish house and three days of three nights of camping out on the ice you sleep on the ice. Absolutely. So, the ton of camaraderie, but you're heated. Oh, so is this not melting the ice? I'm, I'm not trying to figure all this it's out. It's a legitimate question. I mean, like, <laughs> you, you got to stay warm in these houses, right? So, you know, there's a there's a buffer between the ice, obviously, and the and the fish house, right? You have, you know, just like any structure, there's an axle there, and so there's. Uh, but then you drop down the and you drill the holes and you drop down your your sleeve, your hole sleeves, and then that. That buffers the wind from coming up, and then you bank up your house with snow, and, and it's just uh, then you you got that thermal barrier, and you're just getting good, good. And then you set your thermostat to sixty eight degrees, and 
turn on your satellite TV and watch a football game. How how <laughs> is it a hundred percent done deal every time you put a hook in the water that time of year? Do you catch them on every drop in? No, of course. Do you not. catch your limit every time you go out? No, of course. Really, not. you don't in the ice, huh? No, you don't. Oh, 15, I don't. Fifteen thousand people would on I be, one lake. Would I if I told you that I caught my limit every time I went out fishing? I would be the biggest. My Pinocchio. I would. My nose would hit that wall. Yeah, but I mean, if, you would think they're starving this time of year. You would think that walleye would be like, I'm eating whatever the freak I see right now. That's where I'm going with it. You would think that this time of year, when it's 24 inches of ice above them, or how has it get 24 inches thick? You said. Oh. I've had I think to, we I've hogged had, through four feet of ice that we, one day. I've hogged through forty-eight inches of ice. We got to put an extension on your on your ion. I have an ion, so yeah, you have to put an extension on it. Sometimes it's, the ice can be four feet. So they got to be starving. I would think that they'd bite anything. You put a shoe down. Not there, necessarily. Right? There's all sorts of different things that can. Whether there's atmospheric pressure changes, there's things that turn fish off. Just like there's things that turn wild game off, deer off. Metabolism too. Yeah. Metabolism. Well, yeah, as they get clo- board, as they get closer to spawning too in the spring, they'll they'll pick up some activity, and then post spawn they've they've got to eat once that's all done. So there's there's so many different uh, fishing's a whole another a whole another gamut of issues we could talk about for years. But it would be somebody else. Um, I like to I'm a participant in fishing. To say I'm an expert would be not true. But you are an expert walleye cooker, and I say this because I've judged <laughs> cooking contests with you in it. Do you still use the same method on every single time you fry walleye? I do not. You change it up I, since I, then? I, I do change it up, but I do bring out the Cheez-It crackers for special occasions. Cheez-It crackers. Oh, That's yeah. what his breading was. It was interesting. It's it Cheez-It crackers with some with some seasoning and um, a little egg wash. Nice. It's really good. It tastes like fish sticks. Are they the best? We're going to get back to ducks in a minute. But are they the best eating fish in North America? Now, you, I'm not counting the halibut. I'm talking freshwater fish. Okay. You got the perch, the crappie, and very the walleye. Perch and, perch and walleye are in the same family, so you can those are together. They have very similar mild mild taste Perch to are pretty delicious. So perch and walleye are in the same family. Um, but um, I think there's, like anything, when you say, are they the best – that's really hard to say. I mean, because well, okay, well, it's subjective. It's subjective. You're so. not going to take a rainbow trout over walleye. No, you're not going to take a catfish over walleye. Well, so you're not but, taking a trout over walleye. But see, no. it, you could be in Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, and and catfish is oh, for man, them. Man, it ain't a walleye. It ain't a walleye. We have monster walleye. Believe it or not, <laughs> yeah, I they, live on the White River and it's cold. And we have huge walleye actually coming really? out there. Oh, yeah. Arkansas, you know I, mean? I just learned this like five years ago, is like a fly fishing destination. But there's nothing better than walleye. Yeah. No, the eating but of a walleye. But if you look great, at bubble crappie bubble. is good. But if you, I mean, I, I personally, if you had give me a choice, I'd have grouper every single well, day. Well, where, where is that Florida fish? Florida. Yeah, it's, it's a saltwater That's fish. That's a saltwater fish. I'm saying freshwater. Saying, oh, freshwater. It's, yeah, you can't beat a walleye. Okay. No. Last question about fishing where you live. The fish of 10,000 casts. The muskie. Yes. Correct. The figure eight at the boat, all the stuff that you do in it. Do you really not catch them? Because I caught one on my first cast. I didn't land it. But I, they say there's 10,000 casts. And me and Nash caught one on like the second or third cast that day. And he got up to the boat and they're doing well, all the stud. You had a good guide who put you in the right spot. It was, I was guiding us. You were in guiding. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Using the right kind of dynamite. Now your nose just passed my left shoulder because you're lying. But have you caught one and are they really 10,000 casts? I, I caught one bass fishing. So I, I have intentionally fished for him on multiple occasions. But the only time I caught one was when I was bass fishing. And it had I had I had a two pound bass on and the and the and the muskie came up and hit it right in the side and I huh. I brought so he had the bass in his mouth 
and the hook. So he didn't have the hook in him, but he came to the boat. So he, his he his instinct was not to let go, and um, I just barely missed, or the person I was with just barely missed netting the fish, netting the muskie with the bass in its <laughs> mouth. That's cool. So are muskies an edible fish, or are they always catch and release in Minnesota? Um, I th- there's there's limits on on whether you can keep it, but I don't know anybody that harvests them specifically for food because there are limits on on size on what you have to throw back, and I and some lakes I think it's 48 inches, and if you're nobody's going to eat a 48 inch fish. But will you eat a smaller one? I I don't think there you can keep them legally under a certain size. So I because I know like in sturgeon fishing, which is called like poor man's lobster. Sturgeon's good, but there it's the same thing. Like if it's under sixty inches or in between forty eight and six, like there's a weird law of what you can yeah, keep, the, and then all the dinosaur fish that are like like eighty years old or whatever. I've caught several, you know, ten to twelve footer sturges on the you know like on the Columbia River, and you have to release all the big ones. Obviously, you wouldn't eat those anyway. No, and I'm I'm not aware of anybody that to, that will take a muskie to eat it. It's just not. It's almost sacrilegious in Minnesota to do that. I do have one more fishing question. When you do pull these boats out or these houses out there on the ice, yep, and you're out there with the with the the holes in the how how big is the hole? The circumference of a hole? Because you're not you can't pull up a big muskie out of that hole, right? My question is: Is what species are you targeting? Do you have an opportunity to catch more than a walleye this time of year? Yes, you can catch perch, crappie, bluegill. Um, people target bass through the ice, which is, and I've caught them on my, on my lake. I've caught bass through the ice, but, and then you've got Northern Pike, uh, people spear use, uh, they spear, use dark houses to spear, um, pike. Um, do you, do you take the time personally to clean a pike if you catch one? I do not. I release all my Northern Pike. Is it because you don't want to mess with it because they're hard to clean or that you don't like the taste? Of them? Uh, I'm not a big fan of the taste. I think they're a little muddy. Really? And people look at me and say, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, if I've got filet mignon on the table or a sirloin, I'm going to eat the filet mignon. And that's the walleye. Hmm. I think I, 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 I don't know if I would do it. Like, I don't know if I would go out and I don't know if I would sleep on the ice. I just don't find any trust there. I just don't. It I think depends y'all are on crazy. how hungry you are. Yeah. You know, but, I've got a three-year-old granddaughter, and one thing that I've tried to teach her before she goes into, like, preschool and stuff like that was how to catch a polar bear, which is similar to what y'all talk about. <laughs> you know, it's hilarious for her to tell that story. And, I mean, it's a three-year-old little girl that everybody's going, oh, ain't she cute? And she goes, this is what you do. You take a chainsaw, you cut a hole in the ice, and when the polar bear comes up to get a drink, you kick him in the ice hole. And that's kind of the same way with fish, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just a, it is really awesome when a three-year-old girl tells a story. The ice hole. Yeah, you kick him right in the ice hole. But... Uh, <laughs> Same thing on fishing, which uh, it don't get cold enough for that down yeah. where we're at. But I do apologize for that. Oh, I like but that. I, but I, I think, I think the bigger picture of all this, right, is everybody likes to have fun and they they have regional activities. I'm right I know, now, I know. I saw it. They have regional activities, right? Um, if you're in Arizona, they got different species of quail to hunt, right? Yeah. So I think for us, we this is a an activity that. Is there available for us? There's a heck of an industry for it. I mean, there's companies that are specifically, you know, designed to build either portable fish houses or portable heaters and all the tip-ups and rods and specialized rods and reels and line that doesn't as a specific for ice fishing line, so it doesn't kink up or get cold. And so there, I mean, there's a there's a tremendous industry for it. So it's it's fun. It's just another way to enjoy the outdoors on top of. Uh, not drink ice. 
<laughs> do you do you look at today? I think we killed almost like forty four some geese today. Forty three, forty four. That's it's a lot of geese. Yeah. I mean, you mm-hmm. think about going out on a Canada goose, or let's say a speckle belly goose hunt in Arkansas, Robles, you kill two apiece. Four guys go out, four times two is not ten. <laughs> it's eight, Brian. I was going to say ten. But four, in this this season, you're almost like, well, that's kind of good, right? Good. But you see this social media influx of pile picture, right? And you're like, oh, we got to kill a hundred. What does your mind tell you? What is successful on a day like today? Was that successful in your opinion, Brian Kelvington, that we have 40 dead snow geese there that gave it up for us? Okay? Yeah. We got to have an awesome day of laughing with friends and stuff. Is that a successful day to you personally? Or are you of the mindset of like, man, I wish we would have just mauled them up? Would you have rather killed 100? What would you have rather done? I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out in my own mind of like, I've had so many days of three and 400. Not so many, but I've had over a dozen days of like 300 to 400 geese in, during the depredation season. I think Rob said it before early, too. It's not about just killing, but I, we're, I we're that, able to I connect. I part the, of it, but I'm talking the about the mentality of that depredation oh. hunt. Do you look at this today? I mean, you drove eight hours to get here. He drove 12 hours to get here. I drove 11 and a half hours to get up here from Nashville. You flew in, but you also had to get a rental car, and you had to do all this stuff. Now, tomorrow, you got to leave and go turn that rental car in. It's a lot of work. I'm not saying it's a pity party, yeah. but is that is that good enough? Is any day in the field good enough? Or have we developed this mentality that we have to kill the big piles or the yeah. biggest bug? No. Have we Are we developing okay. that mentality in the industry, you think? No, I, I think it's cyclical, right? I think it varies a lot between age and experience, right? People kind of go through a cycle in their life where some you know they they want to learn then they want to kill everything and then it eventually it turns into being more about the experience right and i think for all of us here at the table it's it's more about the experience i mean we could have not shot a bird today and i would still had a great time um, i would have heard about that <laughs> well, you would have but for me that would actually made it a lot of fun um so yeah you know, it's not about making the big pile. It's about the experience for me. And um, it's always fun to shooting birds, but it's not a requirement, right? I mean, uh, I just enjoy being out here. And I, I know we said it at least once today, and I say it almost every day that I'm then on an event like this. You know, a, a bad day in the field is better than the best day at the office, right? I mean, we're pretty privileged to be able to do this kind of stuff for a living. And, and you know, I think it's in all of our best interest to make sure we never take that for granted, right? Couldn't set it better. Yeah, I, so. exactly. I'm 100% in agreement with George. And that's, using the product to make sure it works. I mean, that that's one side of it. I mean, you don't want to go out here and have, uh, let's say Federal's got a horrible product here, but we were using it anyway because they're Federal, and Benelli guns are terrible, but we went out here and used them anyway, and we went out here and we wounded a hundred and some snow geese today. That's not what you're after. You're wanting to see these guys are coming out and they're wanting the best of what they're doing. And, you know, people talk about the kills and it's not socially correct or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, when you shoot something, if you're going to take time out to come this far and do what you do, and there's you come out here to help, you know, the, the snow goose population and everything that's going on, when you shoot it, you want it dead. I mean, I... I mean, I'm not a goose, but if you're going to shoot me and it's going to come, 
I don't want you wounding me and your dog come over and chew one of my legs off and do that. I want to be dead when you shoot me. And that's that's the responsibility that we need to do. I know that uh, people think of us as bloodthirsty and we're gun and we're haters and all that. That's not the case. The, pro- the, the thing is we want to put a product that uh, kills things. If you're going to if you're going to go out here and kill, kill it dead and be done. And part of that's being a sportsman to me. I, I don't know how yeah. you guys agree, but no, that's, I, that's sportsman to me. I think that's a great point because we're looking for validation that our systems, our total system right here, gun, ammo, and choke, choke tube all work. And we so we get validation today, so that we do find success in that. So we're getting that element of it. But do we have to shoot a hundred each? No, no, no. So you're saying at this point in your career, as many times as you've seen Federal Premium or Blue Box or Black Cloud, whatever it is, perform, you still get that validation of pride in the company that you have that you clock in for every day and go to work. Oh, one hundred percent. Do you send texts and get giddy? Are you like, hey Compton, hey Stoke? Like, are you like sending texts like? Dude, do you still get that giddy of like the first time? I remember the first time we ever tested TSS and it was just like nonstop calls and texts about what it was doing and how I did field testing with George on guns before. I did the best. I've done several of them. Rob's Rob's product. But do you still get that like feeling Absolutely. of pride? Absolutely. And on the way home, you know, Brian and Jason had to leave early today. Uh, just because they had some office obligations tomorrow. And we were texting. Every time a group came in, we shot a few. I was texting back and forth. We got a few more. We got a few more. And that's, that's yeah, absolutely. That's- so do you feel, George, at this point in your career, again, over a 30-year career in this industry, and again, things change. You just said it. There's different maturity levels through hunting. But there's also life takes over. Kids, wife, family, professional, whatever it is. Do you still get excited right now when you're in there and the sun's coming up, see the dog, see the decoy spread, hear the sounds? Do you still get as giddy as you did ever? Absolutely. I didn't say that right. As you ever did? I apologize. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm giddy the night before just thinking about it, right? Struggling to get to sleep, thinking about the next morning and... And of course, in your mind, you've got these visions of like flock after flock and tornadoes and birds everywhere. And, and that's exciting. And, and again, I, you know, I love shooting birds as, as much as the next guy. But, you know, it, again, man, it's, it's about the overall experience for me. I mean, whether we shot zero birds or, or, or 100 birds apiece, I, I, I'm pretty sure we are going to have a great time regardless because of the people that we're with and, and, and what we're doing and, and our passion for, for being outdoors and, and just being in the environment. And I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's, a, it's an all around win kind of regardless of what the outcome is. I mean, it could have been blowing 40 miles an hour, freezing and snowing out there and we couldn't have shot a bird. I would have had just a good a time. Um, you know, or we could have, you know, shot a hundred apiece and, and, you know, be here so tired from cleaning birds and toting stuff around, but it's a different experience, but I, I value them all kind of the same. I mean, they're all really special in their own way. All right, here we go at the Fowl Life Podcast hot seat. We're going around. Rob Roberts, Mini Mart in the morning, Casey's. <laughs> you have to get breakfast food on the mm-hmm. way to the blind. What do you get? Well, fortunately this morning when we went through there and did just that, they still had part of the regular pizza, not breakfast pizza, that they had there, and it was really awesome. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're going probably... to Casey's Pizza. What do you go? What do you get in the morning? You're um, healthy. You're a healthy guy. What do you get, Brian? So um, on this trip, uh, I'd have a banana chocolate chip muffin with a Arnold Palmer. 
a banana with a chocolate chip. It's, it's a, a lot of sugar. It's he a just lost all credibility, didn't he? He just blew that, didn't he? Yeah, I'm glad he didn't say a John <laughs> Daly. At least he said an Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer with a, with a muffin, probably, most likely. Breakfast food. Yeah, I may not appear to, to look like it, but I do try to eat healthy. And uh, honestly, I typically don't eat a lot of breakfast. So for me in the morning, it's all about getting some caffeine, man. You like the coffee. I, I, You're going you coffee. Know, I like the coffee. Yeah, or the, the Starbucks double shot. You have to go or... into the same store and buy a candy bar for lunch. What candy bar are you getting? It's got to be something that you've liked for years. I'm assuming that. It doesn't have to be. I'm just saying, what's your candy bar of choice if you have to eat a candy bar? Mm, maybe uh, Caramello or... Caramello said nobody ever. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> peanut Dude, M- I like Caramello. Peanut M&M's. Reese's Pieces. No. The E.T. ones. No. Peanut M&M's. Peanut M&M's. 100% Butterfinger. I go score bar. I love score bar. I love that toffee. Said nobody ever. Adult cocktail. If you reach your hand into a cooler and you can pull out a cocktail or a beer or a seltzer, what do you want? Uh, when I'm it comes out of the going with a Jack and Diet Coke right now. I'm going to go with um, gin and tonic. No ultras. What? Chicolobe Ultra. Ultra. Perhaps yeah. one of these here? Yes, one of those. <laughs> if you turn on the TV and it's got to be a sporting event that you watch, what sporting event do you want to be on TV? Oh, that's a loaded question nowadays. Um, <laughs> anymore, it's it's uh, hockey for me. College wrestling. Oh, I love it when you say that. I, <laughs> do, I am starting to have an admiration for hockey, though. I went to a Predators game in Nashville the other night, and I was on the ice, like, watching it from, like, that level, and I was like, good night. I'm talking, like, high speed. Go ahead, Rob. Razorback football. Razorback football. Suey? Big Suey? Yes. yes. How was it go? Don't let me call the hogs. Big Suey? I can't remember what they say. Yeah. You got you turn on. Oh, if I'm going with the sport right now, I'm probably. I love baseball's well, my go-to. You're not watching baseball right now. I know you can't <laughs> watch baseball right now. I would probably watch Dake or David Taylor in a wrestling match. Or I would watch vintage Dan Henderson in the octagon. I love MMA. I also love ping pong. I freaking love watching competitive ping pong. If you turn on that same TV and it's a sitcom, and it can be any time in the history of American TV, what sitcom are you watching? I just had this conversation in another podcast we do called This Life Ain't For Everybody, and it's called Breaking It Down. And I went with the best sitcom of all time, in my opinion. Which was? I'm not going to... Well, I'll say it. Everybody... You know, when I was old enough to understand sitcoms, you know, it was Cheers first. Yeah. Then the Cosby Show was right there. No. Cheers. But <laughs> Cheers was amazing. But then yeah. Seinfeld in the late 80s took over, and his mm. syndication has made him, I think Netflix just paid him like another $600 million or something. My choice of the best sitcom ever made that made me laugh out loud, belly laugh, and still does, is the first six to eight seasons, maybe eight, of The Office, when it was really Michael Scott. That dude that played him, Steve Carell, like he just—I thought that sitcom was so well done, way better than Seinfeld. What's your what's your sitcom? You know, I, for me, it's changed over the years. When I was when I was much younger, I would have said Cheers, hands down. Oh, I love Cheers. But as I've gotten older and 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 likely a lot more conservative, and have had kids and all these things, I was a big fan of Last Man Standing. Oh, give me some. Yeah. Have you seen this, Tim Allen? Oh, of course. Hilarious. That's a good that's a good good one. Dude, that is a great call right there. Have you seen Mom? I have not seen Mom. Y'all look it up when you get home. Just look watch one app. It's pretty good. But I I I can't argue with that. But it was only like three seasons, right? It got kicked off of one one network and went to another. another. But it's off of there now, right? Or is it still Uh, on? I think it's off now. Because Fox well, I mean, Maybe it's in between seasons. He, he went from, he went from Tool, Tim to Toolman Taylor to 
to, from to that to this show, Last Man Standing. Dude, I love Last Man Standing. And he, he like runs a sporting goods store. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Like, I love it. Even and, then his, and then his little like recap speech at the end. Yeah. There. Did he do that on Tim the Toolman or on Home Improvement? He did. A, did he give like a recap? He at the did end a of variation those? of it. Yeah. All right, sitcom. Okay, so I'm like George. There's, I mean, I'm product of the '80s and early '90s, so that. Cheers, obviously. I love Cheers. Ten, you know, and then it went into syndication. It was ten thirty at night. You, if whether it was whatever at ten thirty at night, you could watch the uh, syndicate a half hour and go to bed by eleven. Uh, but I, I'm a fan of Two and a Half Men. I think, oh. I think it's I think it's Charlie hilarious. Sheen, but not Ashton Kutcher. Not no. a, not Ashton Kutcher. Charlie. God, Sheen. that's another Charlie great Sheen. call. It is, dude. That Charlie Sheen in the original series with what's his wow. name with. Um, uh, well, his brother's name was Alan Harper. Alan, but Alan I can't Harper, remember the actor's but, name. He's a famous actor. Yeah, yeah. works somewhat. But that—that that is that's a good. Those are both good calls. This is really weird. This Which, is so weird. Yours? Oh, I mean, they this conversation two of the favorites of all time. Oh, right so they're there. gonna take oh, yours? One hundred percent. But the only one. I'm older than these guys, so I'm gonna nail the number one of all time. Let me guess. Hold on. Number one of all time Mash. sitcom. And those are two and three right oh, there. Oh, you know I, I, I think he's got it. You're I, going with Golden Girls. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for yeah, being was, a uh, friend. But that was kind of some. Uh, what is it? Uh, no, Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith. Uh, I didn't yeah. meet Andy Griffith. Is that considered a sitcom? The rest Back of the, the world needs to watch Andy Griffith and raise their kids to it and uh, become a better person. Mayberry. But both you guys have named. those. That's the only three things I watch. I don't even watch hardly TV at all. But if I am, I'm either watching Last Man Standing. Dude, those are both or I've great got Andy calls. Griffith coming on those in the morning over coffee. Two and a half, man. Was, those are both great calls. Oh, yeah. The They're last right. question before the last question. No wonder we hunt good. <laughs> You're driving to work, and you got to get fired up for the day. It might not be as fired up as you would need for a wrestling match or you would need for a basketball game in Argentina or you <laughs> would need for the Razorbacks. What, when you hit that dial, what song do you want to hear to get ready for the day? Ooh. Yeah, it changes a lot for me personally, right? I listen to a lot of music, um, and, uh, you know, again, I may not appear to be so, but I do work out a, a good bit, a lot of cycling and, and a little bit of running. And uh, so I'm listening to music the whole time I'm doing that. And uh, as of late, you know, I'd say the last couple of years, for me, it's been a band called OAR. Uh, they're from Rockville, Maryland, actually, which is my home state. Um, and they really kind of get me kind of juiced Stands up for and what? going. I don't know what it stands for. Is they like a jam band? Kind of, yeah. Live stuff's better than their studio stuff. I want to say yeah. I've heard of them. But they play like 10, 12-minute songs live. And so, yeah, live stuff, yeah. yeah. I've heard of it. OAR. Where are you going, Brian? Um, I'm a classic rock fan. You're so. going Boston. No, no, no. I, I, I like Fleetwood Mac. Um, mm. I also to get you jazzed up. I mean, you like Stevie Nicks leather and lace oh, to get you fired up. <laughs> Stevie Nicks, oh she my is God. great. <laughs> I can't. I've seen them in live. Yeah. I've seen them live for several times. She comes out onto the stage and does her little twirl and that. Oh, she's a rock goddess. goddess. Oh my, kind of is. Yeah. Um, I like. I'm a, so. I mean, I like Fleetwood Mac, Foreigner, Jukebox Hero. Um, Ooh, that'll get it. you. That'll get you too. You like that song that goes? Sister Christian has the time. How's it go? That Are you not? You missed that one. No, Sister yeah. Christian. <laughs> Sister Christian. I grew up in that era. That was uh, Night Ranger. Night Ranger. They're right not, there with Foreigner. No. Yeah. Sister Christian? I mean, that's, no. yeah. They're, Rob says no. They're, they're a one. You don't hit. like Sister Christian? <laughs> no, I'm just yeah, saying. That's a good song, Chad, but they don't have the longevity that Fleetwood Mac or Foreigner or no. Styx or any of those. Foreigner uh, has longevity? Yeah. I don't know. I don't Chicago. know. Chicago. 
Chicago is not a rock band. You well, watch your mouth. <laughs> wow. They've had rock songs, but I mean, <laughs> I don't know. You, you name the Ozzy Osbourne, uh, those yeah. types of classic rock. So like neither one rock. of you would say what he's getting ready to say, which is go no. ahead. No, uh, I'm not going to guess what you're, I was thinking. Ozzy Osbourne, is that guy Kenning Kenny's own testicles and come up and say number twice? But go ahead, Wendy. I'm just saying classic rock. I'm going to turn on. I'm going to turn on classic rock and get a workout. Did you say Ozzy's your guy? No. Who's your guy? Dude, I just I, hung out with this guy. I've got it on tape. Oh, My you're, favorite you're going song. With Whiskey Myers. Oh, hands down. Well, Cody Cannon's got a song, Whiskey Myers. The Wolf. The Wolf. It's coming soon. And I videoed this. Well, he's singing. I can't share it with you, but that's my song. Dude, he nails it. Some technical difficulties there. Apologies, apologies, apologies. We ran into a time limit on some of our cards because of the, the hunt. We were hammering on the geese all day, and we tried to fit in a podcast. We almost got to the end of it. Want to say thank you so much to George Thompson, Benelli USA, all of my friends from Federal Premium for joining me in camp, Brian Anderson, Brian Kelvington, Jason Nash. They are some of my best friends in the industry. And, of course, the godfather of all gunsmiths, of gun builds, Mr. Rob Roberts, Arkansas, Rob Roberts Custom Gunworks. Hope you all enjoyed that. I can't believe it's been over a decade I've been working with these three companies. The stories, the memories, just the the reminiscing that goes on in the pit blind, around the table. Uh, We have so much to talk about, man. We share so much in common, and we had a blast in camp this year. Nebraska, snow goose season, depredation, spring season 2022, black goose outfitters. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Mr. Larry Freeman. You guys, I'm going to lead you out of here with one of the songs we talk about all the time. This is Whiskey Myers. The song is called Stone. Cody Cannon and the boys will be seeing them soon. Thank you all for supporting the Foul Life podcast, all of our sister podcasts, and get ready for brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life coming July 2022 on the Outdoor Channel. Appreciate y'all. Hey, 